I'm Mike Huckabee. I was the governor of Arkansas and ran for president in 2008, and I used to be a diabetic. One of the coolest campaigns I ever took on and won was the crusade that reversed my type 2 diabetes naturally. I was able to get off the medications I'd taken, and I lost 110 pounds of fat in the process. If you or someone you care about has type 2 diabetes or prediabetes, I urge you to pay close attention to what I'm about to tell you. The same methods I use to reverse my type 2 diabetes are found today in the Diabetes Solution Kit. It's an all-natural plan that really could work for you in reversing type 2 diabetes and prevent it from coming back, all in as little as four weeks, with your doctor's approval. Stop suffering. Here's how to get your hands on the Diabetes Solution Kit today. Get your Diabetes Solution Kit now at Diabetic99.com. Everything you need to reverse your type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes like Governor Huckabee did is at Diabetic99.com. Reverse your diabetes today at Diabetic99.com. That's Diabetic99.com. Boston conservative in the cradle of liberty. You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks. Good afternoon. Chuck Moore speaks Monday through Friday, 10 till noon here at the USA Radio Networks. Welcome to the program. It's my pleasure to welcome aboard Dr. Samuel L. Blumenfeld, the author of NEA, Trojan Horse in American Education, the Whole Language, OBE Fraud, and his latest book, his newest book, which is due out uh, in the next month or so, that being The Crimes of the Educators. Sam, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Uh, pleasure to be with you. In fact, the, the publication date for the book is April 14th. Uh, now, all, the book is, all, is, is now available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and also World Net Daily Superstore. So you can actually get the book now and begin reading it before publication. And from what, I, now, can you from get what a, I've been told... Is that a hard copy? Uh, pardon? Yes, Will a hard copy. Will that be a hard copy? Or? Great. Yeah. Well, Sam, and, you know, I've, uh, got, I've so, got my... Uh, uh, go ahead. It's, it's going to be quite a... Uh, it's going to cause quite a stir because nobody has bothered to look into the education system the way uh, uh, I and Alex have done. And so this is going to You know, to Sam, it's coming a at a good eyes. time, too. It's what coming at that? a good time because there's... I say the book is very timely because there seems to be a great ratcheting up of interest in uh, Common Core curriculum. And you've got people oh, yeah. on all sides of the... You've got people on all sides of the ideological spectrum, liberal, conservative... Everyone is up in arms over this because we all have children in our schools and they're being subjected to this asinine program. Now, uh, my, 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 my TV show is launching next month, and I'd like to have you to uh, come down in person, if you can make it, and, uh, and do a, a show with me because that's going to be seen in Boston, which is, it reaches three-quarters of a million households. And also, sure, uh, it's going to be on YouTube. It's going to be on YouTube, so it could be used uh, by you for to promote the book. So, we'll talk about that once uh, once I've got things set. And um, yeah, where I'm where, where is the it. studio? The studio is in Roxbury. It's in Eggleston Square. 
Oh, okay. All right. Yep. Very good. Very good. Uh, uh, incidentally, uh, last night I was at a um, at a meeting uh, in Worcester. The Governor Baker's uh, opioid working group. Uh, mm-hmm. There's been a tremendous increase in the use of um, heroin by our teenagers. And there were a lot mm-hmm. of overdoses and a lot of deaths and all of that. And so the purpose of this, um, they call it an open dialogue, uh, which was held at the Quinn Sigamund uh, Community College in Worcester, was to get people, it was like a um, a town hall forum where you had uh, policymakers seated at a, uh, a very long table on the stage and you had these two microphones in the hall whereby the um, attendees could uh, provide suggestions, ideas on uh, how to improve the situation. <clears throat> and I uh, took advantage of the situation, and so I told the group, I said that uh, I'm, as, I'm of a generation where there were no, uh, there was no drugs in our schools back in the old days. There were no teen suicides. There were no uh, school massacres. I said, how come we were able to do it all? And then I went into the business of the, the way they teach reading. I said, in, in Massachusetts, you have a 30% failure rate, reading failure rate in our schools, and that's what causes a good deal of susceptibility among students to drugs and to anything that is going to relieve the pain of being unable to learn to read. And um, I pointed out how the schools are using the right brain, uh, or forcing children to use the right brain to perform the functions of the left brain, which causes brain impairment. And, uh, well, anyway, I, I hope that uh, that, that message uh, resonated among the uh, so-called policymakers. There was the attorney general was there, and also the... Uh, um, the, the vice governor, the um, uh, right. governor Polito. Yep. Um, pardon. Great, Ka- Karen yeah. Polito. Yes, yes. Karen Polito was there. So hopefully, it resonated. And um, my friend Bill McNally uh, from the Wyndham, New Hampshire, has uh, he's created the Samuel L. Blumenfeld. Literacy uh, Foundation, and he Fantastic. has published 500 copies of my new phonics book, uh, Phonics for Success. And so, if any Fantastic. of your listeners would like to get a copy of that book, they should go to the um, Samuel L. Blumenfeld Literacy Foundation website. And I think they'll be able to get the book there. Sam, I would also suggest that you follow up with uh, Lieutenant Governor Polito with an email because when she was in the state Senate, she was involved in education issues. She's conservative. I think she's up on what we're talking about here. And uh, that, that could be a very important alliance. 
Oh, good. I'm good. I'm glad to hear that. Well, I will do exactly that. And um, another interesting thing, I came across uh, Michael Savage's new book, Stop the Coming Civil War. He's convinced yes. mm -hmm. that uh, pretty soon the country will have had enough of Obama. Uh, he provides incredible detail, for example, on the 65,000 children from Central America. He's convinced that this could not have taken place without the connivance of the administration. And he shows how plans were, were being made to hire people to take care of this influx and, and to disperse the children throughout the United States, despite the fact that some of them are bringing diseases into the country that have been eliminated. And they're bringing also diseases from Central America, which we don't have in this country. And uh, he goes through a litany of things that Obama has done, which he says is going to lead to some sort of crisis, which he calls a civil war. And, uh, for example, they, they, keep, they, they keep creating racial strife. You know, they won't let go of Ferguson. They won't let go of, of uh, black children being killed by white cops. I mean, they keep, they keep drum, you know, that drumbeat keeps going. Mm -hmm. And uh, he says it's all deliberate. And, what they're, and, yes. and of course, we're, what they're doing is they're creating these mobs uh, that are going to disrupt, the, uh, disrupt our uh, whole society. So, um, you know, that plus the drug you problem, know, sir, I mean, it's, plus the reading problem, yeah, I mean, it's, it's awful. Yeah, oh, yeah, and I want to comment briefly on the business of, of Ferguson because now there's been yet another, this time Attorney General Holder's findings exonerate Officer Wilson. Um, and believe me, uh, Holder did not want to do that. You know, they wanted to hang Wilson in a, in a dungeon. Um, right. But the findings show that he was fearful of his life, that Brown grabbed his gun, that Brown hit him, and that he was not, and Brown was not shot you know, in the back with his hands up. That was completely false. They took testimony from people there who were afraid to go on the record because they were afraid of gang violence. And, uh, you know, Sam, this gets to a, an issue here that uh, I've discussed with people, liberals that I know, in, in that, uh, you know, the police in our cities, black, white, and otherwise, they're, they're, they've got a fearful job, and they are scared. You know, they're trained to deal with dangerous situations, but nevertheless, they are human beings, and they are being asked to go into a possible war zone. I mean, they go to the trouble spot, you know, and, and to second-guess them like this and say, oh, well, they don't like someone because they're black or because they're this or that. You know, I'm not suggesting that there aren't abuses, and there are civilian panels to investigate that when it happens. Nor am I suggesting that there very well may be some racial bias, although I highly doubt it. But the fact of the matter is that they are doing a job. They don't know if they're going to come home at night. You know, they're doing a job that's well, no that's different it. than I mean, and, You know, and that, the two then, uh, officers who were killed in New York, one was of yeah. Chinese descent and the other was Latin, Latino. 
Well, there's nothing to do. But, but Sam, it's no different than if you have a soldier in, in, in Baghdad, you know, going into a, a dangerous area and you hear sniper fire and you hear gunfire. You know, they're scared. I don't care how well trained they are. And so, yeah, well, you know, they might shoot somebody. You know, so so and the point I'm making is that right. these, they these, want to go home at night to their families. They yeah, don't these, want to these, be killed. These hypocritical, know? these hypocritical liberals. I mean, I'm going to give one quick anecdote here. The, my my television show is in a, in a rather you know violence prone neighborhood in Roxbury. It's it's a minority neighborhood, and uh, to do my test program, I had to bring in a guest. Uh, in order to get certified there, and I brought in this guy who's very ultra liberal, and who is a big critic of um, you know the police and you know you know black you know crimes on blacks and all the rest. And I had to drive him to the studio. And as we were approaching the studio, he was very nervous, you know, being in Roxbury. And uh, I just found it awfully ironic. Here he is, you know, Mister Liberal. And he's here, like looking around nervously. I mean, I, I'm not particularly nervous because I've, you know, I've lived in minority neighborhoods. I'm not that bothered by it. But here he is, Mr. Liberal. He's never probably left, you know, the, the, the lily white left wing community in Newton. And um, you know, and he's nervous. So I mean, I think that people need to take a look at the fact that this has nothing to do with race. This has to do with crime. This has to do with the fact. That that neighborhood statistically has a higher level of crime, and that most of the victims of crime in that neighborhood happen to be black, and that the officers going in that neighborhood to try to address this crime problem, they're the only ones who are doing anything for the neighborhood. They're the only ones yeah. who are going in there and doing this difficult job. So I'm really very tired of hearing this kind of drumbeat that policemen are there because they don't like black men and women. I mean, you know, from these hypocrites who live out in these lily white suburbs and who never, you know, who wouldn't, you know, who, who, who almost have a heart attack if they see a black face. I mean, it's, it's really, yes, you, you know. know uh, well, I know Roxbury well because I've been going to Waite House uh, for years and they, uh, they're right there in the, in the heart of, um, Roxbury White House is this uh, private school that was created by nuns or um, supported by nuns. It's in. It's actually in the um, uh, what do you call call a, a, a religious house for nuns? Uh, yeah, it's not a, a monastery. Sam, we'll be right back. We got to. It's a convent. We'll be right back. Uh, yeah, convent. Have you ever had a piece of chocolate cake call you into the kitchen? Has the Dairy Queen sign ever forced your car into the drive through lane? Have you ever had a bag of chips dive off the counter right into your hands? Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby, speaking for the ILikeHowILook.com website. Chances are, at some time in your day, you have been and will continue to be the victim of cravings. I like how I look.com website realizes that you can't hide in your closet all day just to avoid snack attacks. That's why they recommend the 10 2 and a Chew weight loss system. 10 2 and a Chew offers powerful natural appetite suppressants to put cravings on the run. To see a video explaining how it works, just go to I like how I look.com. 
they will send you a free sample. Most people notice a difference the very first day. It's much easier to lose weight without those sneaky cravings, so watch the video at ilikehowilook.com. That's ilikehowilook.com. How many more times is he going to need to come home drunk or high before you realize that unless he gets professional help, things are never going to get better? How many more times is she going to steal from you to pay for her habit before you finally admit that you need an expert to help you get the treatment she needs to get her life back on track again? At the American Drug Treatment Centers, we specialize in helping you and your loved ones conquer the demons of addiction. Whether it's drugs or alcohol, our network of centers are ready to help you get the loving treatment your husband, wife, or child needs to get his or her life back. If you've been asking for a sign or a direction on what to do, then consider this ad an act of fate. Call 800-461-3594 today for the real help you need to make real change. Again, 800-461-3594. That's 800-461-3594. 800-461-3594. Search engine rankings can make or break a business, and not ranking on page one is guaranteed to cost you money. So why not rank before you pay? That's right. You get ranked or you don't pay. Did you know over 80% of online shoppers never leave page one? And companies reaching page one status can and do make more money. So where does your business rank? Are you turning clicks into cash or are you handing it to the competition? Increase your exposure, increase traffic, and maximize your online footprint with RankBeforeYouPay.com. Enter your domain name and let Rank Before You Pay start moving you to the top. Rank Before You Pay, the performance-based SEO company, is fully results-driven, eliminating your risk. It's a fact. Search engine rankings can make or break a business, and not ranking on page one is guaranteed to cost you money. Visit RankBeforeYouPay.com, enter your URL, and start turning clicks into clients today. Visit RankBeforeYouPay.com, RankBeforeYouPay.com. That's RankBeforeYouPay.com. Some restrictions supply offer valid in select cities. Hi, I'm Joan London, and if you're worried about your parent or a loved one living alone like I was, and you want reliable senior care information, then call A Place for Mom the nation's largest senior living referral service. You'll get free information on assisted living, Alzheimer's care, nursing homes, even important financial information. They had obviously researched every place, not just given me names. Really? Yeah. They found me a place for what she could afford, and it was magnificent. We're now very confident that she's safe, and they just helped every step of the way, and I can't thank them enough. So if you're struggling to find reliable senior living information, call a place for mom. This is a free service, and you can trust them to help you. If you're struggling to find reliable senior living information for your mom or dad, then call or go online to get the free help you need during this turbulent time. Call now, 800-469-7591. Chuck Morse Speaks. Thanks so much, Sam Blumenfeld's here. Um, we're talking a bit about, uh, in this case, uh, Michael Savage's thesis that there's going to be a breakdown in the country. Sam, I want to switch gears a little bit here and talk about a, an issue that, um, you, you know, I, I don't, you know, I want to address this carefully because um, it, it may seem like I'm criticizing uh, religious Christianity, and I'm not, but. Um, I have an email here from um, the Family Research Council, 
um, General William Jerry Boykin, who uh, is someone that I admire, and he's a great. Yeah. Uh, he was a he was a top national security advisor to both presidents Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton. Okay, he's a you know he's a major military figure. Uh, he's involved in helping religious freedom amongst military personnel, which I support. Um, and, and that's not why I bring this up. I bring it up because there is a military man, Lieutenant Commander Wes Motor. He's a decorated U.S. Navy chaplain who is being criticized for uh, criticizing homosexuality to a military uh, recruit, somebody who went to him. Now, I don't have a problem with that either, and he has a right to do it. My my issue is a little more fundamental than that because I've seen I've come across this over the years, and that is that Christianity looks at the the Torah, the Old Testament, and they translate it to say that uh, that it's an abomination for a man to lie with another man, and they use the word abomination. And from that, there is a lot of condemnation and, and moral judgment that I think is counterproductive because uh -huh. the actual Hebrew does not translate as the word abomination. That came from, you have to realize the Torah is written in Hebrew, and right, the Hebrew right. was translated to Greek but in the Septuagint. The Greek was then translated into Latin in the Vulgate. Latin was translated into English with the King James Version. And in the right. course of translation, there were some mistakes. There were some mistranslations, or there were some words that took on different meanings and different colorations. And the fact is that the Hebrew translation does not say abomination. What it says, and I've looked into this a bit. In fact, it was brought to my attention by a, a, a rabbinic sage. What it says, it has the word to'ivah which does not translate to abomination. What it means is basically that the homosexual act is a falling away. It's unholy. It's, it's impure, and it's a mistake. It's a, it's a stepping back from holiness. But it's not to be characterized as an abomination. It should be characterized. In other words, you know, someone who's involved in homosexuality, it should not be condoned. But it doesn't necessarily have to be condemned. It should be, the, the homosexual should be treated with compassion and with empathy and now, now with the opportunity the, to change. What's the Hebrew word? Hebrew word? The Hebrew word, the Hebrew word is to'eva. I, I don't know the actual Hebrew lettering of it, but yeah. it does not translate into abomination. That's not an accurate uh, well, translation. Well, I wonder what, I wonder what an what a uh, Hebrew English dictionary would translate it as. I have That's an a English... good question, Sam. Yeah, I have an Do you English... have a Hebrew English dictionary? Hebrew Listen, dictionary. You look it up I the... would like to look it up, but I don't but um you don't know the well, maybe, actual maybe we'll look, we'll, spelling. We'll look it up in another time. I mean we don't have time in the middle of this program, but but the point I'm making here is that I think that because of this erroneous translation uh, into the English to say abomination. It has so created that's a, very a certain harshness. Word, abomination. Yeah, and it's created a certain harshness among Christians, 
and it's based upon a mistranslation of the of the the Hebrew Bible. I mean, you know, let's you, you're a, you're you're a, you're a grammarian, Sam. You're a linguist. I mean, you know that that we should go to the source. The Bible is Hebrew, right? I mean, uh, I don't yes, think anyone the Old Testament that. is in Hebrew. And, exactly. Uh, you're absolutely so we have correct. to look to the. It should be. We have to look to the rabbis. Correctly translated. That's right, and I think that, and we have to look to the rabbis. And by the way, there are plenty of rabbis who've made the same mistake. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to cast a dispersion here, but I'm saying that because of this mistranslation, there has, you know, Christians need to. I think I would argue be a little bit more compassionate than to come down on someone who might have same-sex attraction and tell them that they're an abomination and they're going to burn in hell. I don't think that's the right approach. I don't think it's productive. I don't think it's instructive. I don't think it's helpful to someone who might be seeking help. You know, no, the most it, important it, it, it thing be... is it's incorrect. I mean, that's the most important That's right. Thing. Well, exactly, incorrect. but I'm about what it's led to. Owning and caring for a home comes with a lot of to-dos. Fix the AC, build a deck, remodel the kitchen... Whatever your home improvement need, HomeAdvisor can help you find a pro you can trust to get the job done right. Go to rebuild.homeadvisor.com for instant access to top-rated pros in your area, including electricians, handymen, remodelers, whatever type of home pro you need. HomeAdvisor is absolutely free to use. At HomeAdvisor, you don't have to search through a long list of pros. With just a few clicks, HomeAdvisor matches you with pros who provide the exact services you need. You can read customer reviews of the pros, even use the cost guide to find out what hundreds of other home projects cost in your area. Because HomeAdvisor knows it's important to find a pro you can trust in your home, they conduct background checks on their service professionals. It's just one of the reasons more than 25 million homeowners have used HomeAdvisor. Go to rebuildhomeadvisor.com to find the right pro for your project. That's rebuild.homeadvisor.com. Turn down that radio! If this sounds familiar, you know it's time to address your hearing loss. But custom hearing aids can cost as much as $5,000 each and are not covered by Medicare. The good news is MD Hearing Aid offers medical-grade, FDA-registered hearing aids for savings of up to 90% over traditional hearing aids. MD Hearing Aid was founded by a Chicago surgeon determined to develop a hearing aid that was technologically advanced, simple to use, and most of all, affordable. Call 1-800-485-4408. You'll speak with a trained MD hearing aid professional who will match you with the best hearing aid for your needs. Over 100,000 satisfied customers have already made the call. Call right now for our exclusive 45-day risk-free trial and get free shipping and a year's worth of free batteries, a $50 value. But you have to call right now. Call MD hearing aid at 1-800-485-4408. That's 1-800-485-4408. Chuck Morse speaks. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Sam Blumenfeld's here. And uh, Sam, I only bring this up because you know I think that this approach to this issue plays into the hands of the. Uh, of the pro-gay movement, basically, which says that uh, sexuality is is born into you, it's ingrained, it's genetic, which, uh, to my way of thinking, seems ridiculous. Uh, and it's certainly, by any 
standards. It's unproven. But but either way, it kind well, of hardens the unproven, lines here. But there, there may be something to it, and I'll tell you why. When you discover that some uh, some young people have committed suicide because they refuse to... Um, they refused because they found out that they were gay, that they had this leaning. Uh, I don't think that uh, if if it was an adopted lifestyle, that they would be that it would lead them to suicide if they didn't want to adopt it. You see, so there might there might be something to the idea that this is um, that this is genetic. Otherwise, how do you explain? Why certain young people will commit suicide because they don't because they discover that they have this um, this predilection and uh, they can't live with it, you know. So that's that's uh, Sam, Sam. I mean, uh, one it's reason a why question. I would um, I would not dismiss it so quickly that this is not a, a, that well. there is no genetic. Uh, background to this it's it's a complicated question sam i think that um perhaps one of the reasons why a young person might commit suicide is because they discover that they have some same-sex attraction and they think that they're trapped into it because it's genetic that there's no yeah, way out. That sort of thing. And that part, and that, wait well, a minute, where does, where does this attraction come from? Well, well, it kind of, it's a psychological problem. I mean, it's ultimately, it's, there was suffers for whatever reason, a person's natural, uh, identification with the same sex and bonding with the same sex was interrupted for somehow in most cases. Now, I'm not saying there might not be cases where it could be genetic. I mean, certainly, you know, there is this very rare phenomena where, a child can be born with both genders. I mean, they call that Afro. What is it? An, an, a, a, yeah, yeah. Hermaphrodite, yeah. hermaphrodite. But that's extremely right. rare. But the point is that. Uh, but, but, the, you know, but the notion the, it, that uh, it exists in all countries among all racial yeah, groups. Because it has to do uh, with it has to do with the, it has to do with the the young person, male or female, uh, properly being reared in such a way that they identify properly with the same gender. And I think that that's why all societies from modern times to ancient times, they have these various rituals for both male and female that encourage a bonding with the same sex in a, in a healthy way so that they don't have this interruption. You know, that's what the bar mitzvah is all about. That's what the confirmation is all about. Welcome to the male community. Welcome to the female community for women. It's a, you know, even the most primitive but, but societies have But I don't find anything this. like I, that in, in Judaism. Uh, for oh, example, yes, you know, you sure have a bar mitzvah. There's no, uh, no specific bonding with uh, with other males. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. It's absolutely well, with your father, a, a bonding you, of the males. With your father. You, you have and, to have um, ten men to have a million. Uh, but you take, for example, Israel, which has a very liberal... Uh, policy when it comes to uh, to gays you know israel has one of the the most uh, well uh, sam I, I look i view that uh, i view uh, that as a good most, thing uh, frankly, they, they have a gay pride parade in tel aviv which is you know well that's another story from all but, over the world yeah but ultimately sam a person is going to you know in a free world have the right to identify themselves as gay if they choose to do so but 
and and should be respected and should have equal rights. But I'm I'm talking about the the old psychological approach, which I think was accurate and was thrown out under political pressure, which is that it yeah. is a psychological yeah. issue that can be worked through if someone chooses to do so. All right, we'll be right back. A Truth Talk defender, Chuck Morse is someone you really do want to know. Chuck hosts the radio talk show Chuck Morse Speaks, which is nationally syndicated. He's the author of books and numerous columns that have been published broadly. Chuck received the 2003 Communicator of the Year Award and was named a heavy 100 radio talk host by Talkers Magazine. When Chuck Morse Speaks, people listen. The taking possession of this tiny holy land so that the, the Jew can serve God, not conquer the world. To hear Chuck live, go to irnusaradio.com. To hear Chuck with Deborah Ray on Truth Talk Beyond the Soundbite, visit the on demand page at deborahray.us. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. As an entrepreneur, you're always on the go. So turn your mobile phone into a business phone system with Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Get a new business number or keep your current one. Sound professional with a main greeting and multiple extensions that forward callers to your mobile phone. You can even get voicemails transcribed. Join over 150,000 small businesses who stay connected with Grasshopper. See how it works at grasshopper.com. The Entrepreneur's Phone System. I like my breakfast like I like my rock. Soft. So I eat Belvita Soft Baked Breakfast Biscuits, a tasty breakfast option for nutritious morning energy. It's just what I want before writing a flute solo that will softly rock every dentist's office around. Try Belvita Soft Baked in oats and chocolate, cinnamon, mixed berry, and banana bread. Belvita, mourn and win. Taking back America one listener at a time. Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much, Sam Blumenfeld's here. And uh, we're talking about the, um, the admonition in the King James Bible that um, homosexuality is an abomination, quote-unquote. And that uh, the Hebrew translation is a little different than that, Sam. Uh, you know, for two reasons, uh, I'd suggest that it's What is the Greek general... translation? Do you know? Well, that's where that's where the, there started to be trouble. When the you see the the Hebrew Bible was first translated into Greek, they called it the Septuagint, 
and yeah. there were mistakes in that. Um, in fact, I it, was, what the it was done under duress. I, I'm, I'm not sure, but eventually it worked its way into English after many uh, previous drafts, and there are mistakes in it. There are others, but this one I think is significant. And, uh, Sam, as far as homosexuality being in brain, in, ingrained, if that were true, and if people were born with a sexual predilection, then why should it be, why should it be called an abomination? Why should someone be called a sinner? Why should it be something that's so condemned if it's just who you are? In other words, no, you're absolutely uh, right. You know, well, that's one of yeah, the. Yeah, I mean, Judaism and Christian. Well, I mean, Judaism and Christianity thinks of it and refers to it as behavior, and and it condemns it. I mean, I would say that the condemnation in Judaism is not as severe in that it looks upon it as simply a falling away from holiness, a, a, a you know, a, an unwholesome behavior that should be yeah. corrected. But uh, but either way, I mean, it, you know, the other the other factor is that if it is something that's genetic, and if it was, uh, I mean, and I would say this to cre- uh, to evolutionary liberals who believe in Darwin, if that be the case, then it would be extremely rare today, because someone who had that predilection would be a lot less likely to breed, a lot less likely to have offspring, and yeah, over the umpteen, true. however that's many. True. Right? I mean, it would probably be gone by now. But putting that aside, Sam, look, uh, you know, I think that this idea of, of condemning homosexuals and, 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 and as immoral, it plays into the hands of the pro-gay movement, who, uh, who oh, then course. point to it, and yes, it creates it the very divide that I think uh, Michael Savage is talking about, the cultural divide, and it's not really based upon an accurate understanding. I mean, I would argue again that homosexuals should be treated with compassion, and if they choose to be homosexuals, that's their right, but at the same time, they should be given the option of exploring it. With Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Maurice Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law, this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, proof of God in heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via his universal laws and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Chuck Morse Speaks. Sam Blumenfeld's here, and uh, Sam, I, I, I was prompted to bring this up only because of this email I received about uh, Lieutenant General Boykin and his uh, attempt to assure religious freedom on a military base, which I support. But I suspect that um, the chaplain has, be- and I say this because I've had people in this program over the years 
who uh, advocate a very militant Christian point of view, who rail about homosexuality as being a sin and and that it's uh, you know it's condemned and it's you know it's an abomination. And and I just right. think that, that that approach needs to be looked at. Uh, it's not at, based upon an accurate uh, translation of the Torah. Well, you know, uh, you should make this uh, aware uh, to the general. Uh, let him know about it, uh, you know, if he was... Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, let, uh, you know, tell him about this particular... A thought that uh, the word uh, abomination is not the exact translation of the Bible, uh, of the Jewish Bible, Absolutely, the Hebrew Sam, but Bible. It's, it, that's right. Well, the, the Bible is Hebrew. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. if there's one thing we can all agree on, the Bible was written in Hebrew. I mean, you know, it either was yeah, or it wasn't. Oh, and exactly, therefore, you know, and, and that's yeah. the beauty of, of speaking Hebrew if you're a, an Israeli that you have access to the Bible uh, because you're speaking the same language. And I always exactly. consider that as, as really a, a true miracle, the revival of Hebrew as a normal, everyday conversational language. And um, exactly. I'm always amazed when I see these beautiful women on television just just babbling away in Hebrew. I mean, it doesn't oh, seem... amazing. That's a miracle. <laughs> you know, when you go to YouTube and uh, you, you go to some uh, uh, a cocktail party in Tel Aviv and these beautiful women who looked like Americans, but they're Israelis, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're models or whatever, and they speak perfect Hebrew. It's, it, it's, it's Right, it's I mean, charming. I have relatives it's in Israel and I've... You know. and it is. But incidentally, I did want to bring to your attention, Native speaking of the 63,000 children who have been imported into this country, it costs $252 a day for each one of these children. $252 a day. And that makes it, um, for the 63,000, 15 million. $876 per day to take care of these kids. And for a week, it's $118,132,000 per week. And every five weeks or six weeks, it's about a half a billion dollars. So this is not, uh, oh you, know, you know, a change. This is... Uh, uh, this is a very expensive thing which the administration has imposed on America by importing 63,000 or 65,000. We don't even know what the actual number is. And, and the administration you know, Sam, I don't know if you saw the Boston Herald yesterday. I don't know if you read the Boston Herald yesterday, but, um, I mean, it's a little bit unrelated here, but... Um, the empty suit corrupt former governor of Massachusetts, Deval Patrick, and other left-wing hacks have jumped on the payroll of the uh, U.S. Olympic Committee, which is planning the U.S. Olympics in Boston. And he's getting $8,000 a day, this corrupt crony who's made a fortune Ooh. shaking down companies. Who's getting $8,000 Deval Patrick. Deval, Deval Patrick. Patrick? Oh, God. Yeah. And I, I wonder how many children could be helped 
if they took his eight grand a day <laughs> and gave it to these these children that he gave a speech about on the steps of the state house when they came in. But anyways, I'm just digressing a little here, Sam. That just shows this no, but is you're typical right. the corruption in this in this state is, uh, is awful. Uh, as a matter of fact, are you familiar with Dr. Kishore, the Indian? Um, yeah, he's coming uh, on my show uh, Thursday. Good, good. Uh, I've gotten to know yep. him, and he his is a story of an Ameri- of the American dream come true, and destroyed by jealous bureaucrats. It's really an amazing story, and uh, yeah, he's coming he's a on my pioneer show Thursday to talk about in it. the field of drug mm-hmm. addiction, and and he has uh, created drugless uh, sobriety, whereas uh, the uh, general methodology is to use uh, methadone. And I asked yeah. him, I said, well, well Sam, that's a, methadone. That's a big threat. And he said it was created by Hitler. Yeah, I mean, that's a big threat to Big Pharma. We'll be right back. I yes. Hi, I'm Joan London. When I needed to find senior care for my mom, I really struggled to find the right fit until I found an advisor, someone who had been through this before. That's why I recommend A Place for Mom, the nation's largest senior living referral service. They have experts who will help you ask the right questions and find the right place. Call a place for mom today. To speak with the local senior living advisor, call a place for mom at 1-800-469-7591. That's 1-800-469-7591. A place for mom has helped over 200,000 families find the right senior care for their parents, from assisted living to independent living, even Alzheimer's care, and have local advisors that can help explain your options at no cost to you. To speak with the local senior living advisor, call a place for mom at 1-800-469-7591. That's 1-800-469-7591. Call today. Chuck Morse speaks. Thanks so much. Sam Blumenfeld's here. Yes, Sam, I've got Dr. Kishore coming on my program Thursday to talk about this. It sounds like he might have shaken up some of the establishment in Big Pharma. You know, these oh, are people yeah, absolutely. Who, uh, uh, because yeah, I mean, the, they, the, uh, got... the present cure substitutes one drug for another, while he believes in a non-drug sobriety uh, cure. And he's had a, a tremendous success, 30 to 60% success rate, whereas the... Um, the other method only gets about a 2% uh, success rate. So that's something to yeah. uh, discuss. Incidentally, uh, yeah, where can, in yeah. Roxbury is the studio that you're going to be uh, uh, televising? The studio's on Washington Street, uh, right near Eggleston Square, near Seaver Street. Now, is that a, uh, a, is that a, a local access TV studio? Yeah, it's one of the largest in the country. It's beautiful. I mean, they've got a great oh, studio. It's a big building. And uh, Boston uh, Cable Access is, is I think, the fourth largest in the United States, only behind Terrific. New York, L.A., and, and Chicago. So, I mean, this is Wonderful. a big deal. And, Sam, the program is going to be on, uh, I believe, I'm well, I'm going to finish the negotiations, actually, this later this week. But it's, it's supposed to be on every week. It's pre recorded. 
and it's going to go up on YouTube, which means that uh, it can be seen all over the world, but also people who can sponsor it. If you live in a local city or town anywhere in the United States and you want your local cable station to carry it, all you have to do is go down and sign a page asking for it, and the program will be seen on your local cable station. So I'm looking at it also as an opportunity to syndicate the program to possibly hundreds of communities around the United States. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to being on the show. You let me know when, when you want me to come down. I will, Sam. And listen, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. Um, okay. I've got coming up here, You're very welcome. Richard Rhodes. He's the author and, of a book. Uh, author of a book I'll called see you Hell next week. Company. All right, Sam. Thanks a lot. Take care. Take care. We're going to take a break, and afterwards we'll be back with my guest in hour number two, that being Richard Rhodes, who's the author of Hell and Good Company, The Spanish Civil War and the World It Made. Stay tuned. I'm Mike Huckabee. I was the governor of Arkansas and ran for president in 2008, and I used to be a diabetic. One of the coolest campaigns I ever took on and won was the crusade that reversed my type 2 diabetes naturally. I was able to get off the medications I'd taken, and I lost 110 pounds of fat in the process. If you or someone you care about has type 2 diabetes or prediabetes, I urge you to pay close attention to what I'm about to tell you. The same methods I use to reverse my type 2 diabetes are found today in the Diabetes Solution Kit. It's an all-natural plan that really could work for you in reversing type 2 diabetes and prevent it from coming back. All in as little as four weeks with your doctor's approval. Stop suffering. Here's how to get your hands on the Diabetes Solution Kit today. Get your Diabetes Solution Kit now at Diabetic99.com. Everything you need to reverse your type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes like Governor Huckabee did is at Diabetic99.com. Reverse your diabetes today at Diabetic99.com. That's Diabetic99.com. They say life is about choices. So let me introduce you to one of the best choices you can make in life. Granger Choice. The Granger Choice product line has just about everything we need to keep this place running. From batteries to V-belts, safety to sump pumps, and with Granger Choice, we can trust that every product is dependable and cost-effective. When it comes to making life choices, here's a great one. Granger Choice. Get it? Got it? Good. Call clickgranger.com slash choice or stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. Geico presents Fan Mail to a Pig. Dear Maxwell, I just want to say thank you for making my Geico insurance ID card digital. It's easy to find on the app. It doesn't give me paper cuts, and I always have it on hand because it's on my phone. Because of this, I finally cleaned out my glove box, which was filled with years of paper ID cards. Any thought on what I should put in my glove box now? Sincerely, Trent Patterson. Hmm, Trent, what can you put in the glove box? Here's a crazy thought. How about gloves? Digital insurance ID cards, just a tap away on the Geico app. A Boston conservative in the cradle of liberty. You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks. Thank you very much. Hour number two of Chuck Moore Speaks, Monday through Friday, 10 till noon Eastern Standard Time, here at the USA Radio Network. As part of my ongoing history series, we are joined by author Richard Rhodes. He's the author of Hell and Good Company, The Spanish Civil War and the World It Made. 
He's the Pulitzer Prize winning author of The Making of the Atomic Bomb. And uh, Richard's a, um, published 24 previous works of history. Richard, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Richard, as I see it, the uh, Spanish Civil War, which took place in the years leading up to World War II, uh, starting 1936 to 1939, it's one of those wars where it's really difficult, for me anyway, to discern, discern of a good or a bad player in it. I mean, on the one side, you had the loyalists who were backed by Stalin, on the other side, you had Franco's nationalists who were backed by Hitler and Mussolini. Um, your book tends to pin, paint, I think, somewhat of a rosy picture of the loyalist side of the conflict. And, uh, you know, again, I mean, I think that to do so, either side, one would have to have either pro-fascist or pro-communist sympathies. Well, except that the government in Spain at that time the one that Franco and his fellow generals were trying to overthrow, was really a coalition government. Yes, there was support from, from Stalin and a hope on Stalin's part that he could prevent the fascists from taking control of the Mediterranean. But the government was elected by the people. There was a range of political parties ranging from what I guess we would probably call liberal Democrats on the right to out-and-out anarchists on the left with the communists right, yeah. in there mostly under uh, under some control by, by the other parties involved. There was a lot of inter-party fighting, of course, that went on. But I, I don't, had, didn't have much trouble identifying who the bad guys were. And I think that was Franco. Right, I, I got that. I, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that, that comes out quite clearly, and, and I would argue that it's a little more nuanced than that, in that the government, the coalition government, the Popular Front government headed by Lago Caballero, which took power in February, March 1936, I mean, he presided, and the government was presiding over, a, according to what I've read, a rapid breakdown of law and order, and there was... Uh, an increase of, uh, of all sorts of terrorism that was occurring across the countryside with the murder of priests and the burning of churches and rape and, uh, you know, kind of uh, an atmosphere that's very similar to others, and particularly we could point to Bolshevik Russia, where before the, uh, the authoritarians took over and created a more pure communist state, you had a great deal of agitation and disorder. And I think that this condition, headed by this caballero who was a demagogue who was calling for brutal revolution even after he'd taken power, um, had had echoes several years earlier in a rebellion in the province of Astorias. Now, in that case, there was uh, the government, which was a left-of-center government, gave three cabinet positions to members of this group called CEDA, which is viewed as a right-wing group. I'm not sure they were. I think they were pro-Catholic and they were conservatives. And the result was a strike that was launched by a, a communist-controlled union that led to an outright rebellion, and you had basically the, the, the overthrow of local governments to be replaced by these committees, very similar to Soviets. You had burning of buildings and churches. You had terrorism. And that that government, that left-of-center government, called Franco in 
1934 to put down the rebellion, and he did so quite brutally. All so I think that what true. happened... There was yeah, but what happened though. then... Go ahead. In 1936, in 1936, then, two years later, when you had the Popular Front government, which included uh, many of these same people who were in Asturias, the CEDA group, um, Franco sent a letter to the president saying that... Uh, if, if the country was going to descend into anarchy and, and, and a breakdown of law and order, then he'd return. And I think that had that government been able to, you know, it, it kind of uh, consolidate control over the countryside and retain uh, a level of law and order, he would not have returned. Oh, I don't agree with you at all. I think, in fact, there was a long tradition in Spain of generals deciding that they should take over the country and bring it to what they called law and order, which was far from a democratic uh, set of institutions. I, you know, I think that the government was basically a central, centered government, and it struggled with revolution from the right, and it struggled with revolution from the left. It was certainly being harassed in both directions. Uh, but if you look at what happened after the revolution, sorry, after the invasion by Franco and his North African forces began, the uh, government fairly quickly took control over the kind of disorder that you're talking about. There was a great slaughter of priests in the first weeks of the war. Uh, some 6,000 were, were lined up and shot. But as soon as the government got some control over the militias, that kind of, of of uh, atrocity stopped, except for, and you're certainly right about this, the Soviet Union slipped in a large number of KGB kind of operators right. who did mm -hmm. their assassinating all throughout the war. But I don't think that the government yeah. would have ended up a communist government. I think it would have ended somewhere else, as in fact it did. So from my point of view, and I think from the point of view of some historians at least, Franco's defeat of the duly elected government of Spain was a tragedy for the country and continued to be until his death in 1975. Well, Richard, I'm not here to defend Franco. I mean, as I said, I view I think that the issue is, is quite nuanced. I think that there were both sides were, I mean, I don't know which was worse, actually, in, in the real sense. I mean, my point is that the way you have conducted your research, you tend to put all of the blame on one side. I would argue that the atrocities that, that are occurred in this war, even the one you just mentioned, the slaughter of, of, of 7,000 priests, it was being done by both sides. It was not, you know, a, a, an either-or type situation. And uh, as far as the, the, uh, the loyalist government goes, um, the, I would imagine that the reason why the uh, breakdown of law and order stopped after after Franco landed was because of Stalin and because of the uh, because Stalin's forces, including the French communists who came in under Duclos and the Italian communists, all of whom were controlled by the Kremlin, according to oh, Hugh I, Thomas, oh, who's a British journalist. In fact, well, that, I'm quoting were... from you. I'm quoting from you, Thomas, who is a British journalist who was yeah, there. Yeah, I know. That's I know, my source. I know those who say that they were all controlled by Moscow. But then you'd have to explain right. why Moscow decided to pull out halfway through the war. Because they lost. Because, because they saw that they were going to lose. At, by 1938, it was quite clear 
that that's that Stalin cut his losses. Plus, Stalin had already entered into a a tacit yeah, agreement with Adolf Hitler that eventually attack. came out in the open in 1939 you when know, Hitler and I, I Stalin think that's a, launched that's World rather, War II. Rather simplistic version of the way Spanish politics worked. Someone called the Spanish politics system a labyrinth, and my God, it certainly was. There were parties of every color and stripe from all sides of the, including in, within the so-called communist range. They were not by any means all controlled by Moscow. Indeed, one of the reasons no, they weren't. Stalin and I don't, I don't think anyone seen... to, to assassinate was because he was so opposed to some of the other communist groups. No, you're right, and I don't think anyone's suggesting that was the case. Again, I'm looking at you, Thomas's work here. He says that Stalin went in and only helped the forces in the government that were pro-Stalin, and he opposed other groups, including leftist groups, who were not pro-Stalin. Absolutely. But the point is that Stalin tried he tried to stage manage the uh, the loyalist side, and by 1937, 1938, it it, it does appear that he had really co-opted. Uh, the the government there, and then he cut his losses. Oh, to the contrary, but, but then but, he was pulling out. Yeah, he pulled out when again when he saw that he was going to lose, well, and also when he entered he into the alliance the with Hitler. And also that he pulled out. Well, then he's then well sense. he pulled he, in classic communist style, they, it's like flipping a switch overnight. The policy changed just like overnight. The left suddenly supported Hitler after but Stalin so, entered so into what his do agreement you with Hitler. Was left running Spain at that point. Well, I think at that point, uh, probably, uh, in fact, he did. Franco had the upper hand, and he finished it off. I mean, in no, 1939, no, no. There was a long with a couple of decisive battles. Months, the war was not that long. There was a long period before, after Stalin withdrew his support for the war, when there was still a government, there was still a military, they were still fighting. They were slowly withdrawing because Franco had the support of Nazi Germany and fascist Italy, and fascist Italy and Nazi Germany had no interest in losing that war. So they kept supporting Franco throughout. But but to think that the government was communist, I think, really, really oversimplifies. It was a complex government with lots of different political positions involved. It was indeed a coalition government. And I'm not I'm not suggesting otherwise. Only in that it presided over a rapid breakdown of law and order, with a move towards Soviet-style uh, system that so stopped are you referring when Franco to the landed. Beginning of the war now, the beginning, the of very the war? beginning, the very exactly. They did, they, and then the government when, did manage to take control ultimately over these informally organized militias. And why were they organized? Because they were trying to defend their country against Franco and his North African mercenaries. You're talking about the government itself, the loyalist government itself. Yes. In, in other words, once Frank, once Franco landed, they were able to consolidate control. They were indeed. I, I'm not dis. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm only suggesting that that consolidation of control appeared to coincide with the huge inf- uh, footprint of Stalin and of, and with uh, Franco, the big footprint of Adolf Hitler. Uh, also, when we take a look at the, uh, the, the Spanish Civil War in retrospect, we're looking at it with the demonized and evil forces of Nazism after, of course, Nazi, the Nazis, uh, along with the Soviets, launched World War II and after the Holocaust against the Jews. 
So it, it colorizes, I think, how we look at that situation. But the fact is that in 1936, 1937, during that time, Hitler was still, you know, viewed as a progressive, which he was by classic by standards, run, running a nanny state in Germany by most of the world. And that uh, he, this was before the Holocaust. It was before World War II. And yet Stalin was presiding over a regime that was known to be evil. I mean, Lenin had already slaughtered up to 5 million people by 1919 before Hitler had even gotten started. He had already set up a concentration camp system in Russia called the Gulag, which was modeled by his fellow Nazis. He had already set up a national police service, the Cheka, which would go out and slaughter entire collective groups of people who were viewed as enemies of the state modeled by the Nazis as the Gestapo. But the point is that the Nazis hadn't even gotten started with that yet, when we already knew what the Soviets were about, and we could tell what they might be about in their supporting Spain. We'll be right back. How many more times is he going to need to come home drunk or high before you realize that unless he gets professional help, things are never going to get better? How many more times is she going to steal from you to pay for her habit before you finally admit that you need an expert to help you get the treatment she needs to get her life back on track again? At the American Drug Treatment Centers, we specialize in helping you and your loved ones conquer the demons of addiction. Whether it's drugs or alcohol, our network of centers are ready to help you get the loving treatment your husband, wife, or child needs to get his or her life back. If you've been asking for a sign or a direction on what to do, then consider this ad an act of fate. Call 800-461-3594 today for the real help you need to make real change. Again, 800-461-3594. That's 800-461-3594. 800-461-3594. Thousands of Americans are losing weight and feeling better with the 10 Tuna Chew weight loss system from ilikehowilook.com. Here is U.S. Army Sergeant Dave Myers. Since I started taking the Nuzvina, probably, I want to say 60, 65 days ago, I have lost over 12 pounds. I have a long military career, and it has caused some issues with my knees and my ankles over the years, and I have become accustomed to just being in pain with one of those areas. I can only attribute the way I feel to the Nuvina because that's the only thing that's changed in my diet, and I am absolutely pain-free in knees and ankles, and it just feels great to be able to get out and run around and move pain-free again. The Nufina Collagen Protein Shake is part of the 10 2 in a chew weight loss system from ilikehowilook.com. Collagen feeds the joints, hair, and skin. This could help you lose weight, feel better, and look younger. Watch the video on ilikehowilook.com and get the full story. They even offer free samples. Go to ilikehowilook.com. Search engine rankings can make or break a business, and not ranking on page one is guaranteed to cost you money. So why not rank before you pay? That's right. You get ranked or you don't pay. Did you know over 80% of online shoppers never leave page one? And companies reaching page one status can and do make more money. So where does your business rank? Are you turning clicks into cash or are you handing it to the competition? Increase your exposure, increase traffic, and maximize your online footprint with rankbeforeyoupay.com. 
Enter your domain name and let Rank Before You Pay start moving you to the top. Rank Before You Pay, the performance-based SEO company, is fully results-driven, eliminating your risk. It's a fact. Search engine rankings can make or break a business, and not ranking on page one is guaranteed to cost you money. Visit RankBeforeYouPay.com, enter your URL, and start turning clicks into clients today. Visit RankBeforeYouPay.com, RankBeforeYouPay.com. That's RankBeforeYouPay.com. Some restrictions apply. Offer valid in select cities. Hi, I'm Joan London, and if you're worried about your parent or a loved one living alone like I was, and you want reliable senior care information, then call A Place for Mom, the nation's largest senior living referral service. You'll get free information on assisted living, Alzheimer's care, nursing homes, even important financial information. They had obviously researched every place, not just given me names. Really? Yeah. They found me a place for what she could afford, and it was magnificent. We're now very confident that she's safe, and they just helped every step of the way, and I can't thank them enough. So if you're struggling to find reliable senior living information, call a place for mom. This is a free service, and you can trust them to help you. If you're struggling to find reliable senior living information for your mom or dad, then call or go online to get the free help you need during this turbulent time. Call now, 800-469-7591, 800-469-7591. You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks. Thanks so much, and my guest is Richard Rhodes. He's the author of Hell and Good Company, The Spanish Civil War and the World It Made. Richard is also a Pulitzer Prize winner for the book The Making of the Atomic Bomb. Uh, Richard, I guess my point is that at the time of the Spanish Civil War, the Soviets were a known entity uh, in the world, at least amongst most average Europeans, um, whereas the Nazis, as evil as they were, they were not yet at that level of, uh, of authoritarianism and venality that had already been implemented in, in Russia. So when we look at the situation post-war, it's, it's, uh, you know, we're clouded by our view of what did become the Nazi regime, which was a, a totalitarian regime that participated in World War II and that slaughtered six million Jews. Uh, but at the time, I think that one could argue that, um, that a, a communist takeover of Spain would have been far worse in terms of human rights abuses and deprivation and the creation of poverty and suffering I, by people than, than it would have been otherwise. Well, I say it because of the Bolshevik example, Here we not are to mention other examples. Like that I basically don't cover in my book. My book is about the development of blood transfusion and new surgical techniques. It's about firebombing of cities. It's about the use of that war as a testbed for new military and civilian technologies. Those are the issues that I try to cover. These political arguments have been covered by some 500 books on the Spanish Civil War. And I don't see, and I didn't see when I wrote this book, the point in rehashing the issues. Does it really matter whether the Soviets are the ones who developed stored blood transfusion in the 1920s? The point is, it was brought into use in Spain in an innovative way and then was ready when the Second World War came along to save countless lives and so forth. Well, no, I understand, Richard, that was not the, the main topic of your book, but the, the reason I bring it up is because the book does appear 
uh, and I've read a good part of it, to create, paint a somewhat rosy picture of the uh, the loyalists and, and a villainous picture strictly of the nationalists. I would argue that both sides had enormous crimes of atrocity and that both sides, you know, in, in a sense, I mean, a more balanced view w- would be that. I mean, this wasn't a, a well, war, I, I would argue, where there was a good and bad side. To know. He's the one who gives you your balanced view. I was interested in I'm talking, sorry, who? talking about technologies, about individual experiences, about the love affairs between the nurses who came from England and some of the members of the International Brigade, and then their loss and their struggle with their feelings. These are the issues that I found interesting all these decades after that war is ancient history. No, and you did a great job of that. I'm simply getting into the under, underlying ideological bias in the book. As far as the people, the, the personalities and the various figures that were involved in supporting the loyalist side, um, uh, w- were they also uh, pro-Nazi during the Hitler-Stalin pact period, which followed the war, they generally? Nazi, the people that I'm t- writing about. To the okay, because the Communist Party was. I mean, so well, if they were <laughs> communist, I'd wonder if they... Why, why uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's funny. I, I actually don't think it's funny. I really don't understand your perspective here. You, you know, you're not, you're not talking about the book I wrote. So let's talk about the book I wrote. And there we're talking Well, the book you wrote is, uh, you know, we could talk about... Sure, I mean, we, we could finish up <laughs> the interview by talking about some of the personal stories. I, I'm just pointing out the ideological basis as I see it well, here. Well, I didn't write and that's about fine, the, by the ideological way. case. And the fact that no, the, the technology might have been developed by people who believed in communism seems to me completely irrelevant. They are technologies no, personal, that personal. took lives. They are technologies that took lives. I mean, the bombing of Guernica was... Look, a, I mean, obviously, individuals who embraced communism were, could be great people. I mean, Ernest Hemingway is one of my favorite authors, and I, I admire his work. That's that's fine. I'm pointing out the ideology that they embraced, whether wittingly or otherwise, was one that was destructive, and that fascinates me. Well, In a sense, it makes it more interesting. War. You know, the atrocities you're talking about that were com- committed by all these local militias at the beginning of the war basically ended early in the war on the nationalist side. I'm sorry, on the loyalist side. But they certainly didn't end on Franco's side. His people went into the towns that they conquered and systematically slaughtered all the uh, military-age males. That was not going on after the first months of the war on the Loyalist side. Well, I think it went on on both sides. Well, I think it went on on both sides. And I wonder if Franco wasn't going after people who might have been part of the what he viewed as a communist element. Who previously had been involved in the atrocities. I don't think either side should have lined anybody up. Anyway, we're going to take another break here. We'll be right back. Turn down that radio. If this sounds familiar, you know it's time to address your hearing loss. But custom hearing aids can cost as much as $5,000 each and are not covered by Medicare. The good news is MD Hearing Aid offers medical-grade, FDA-registered hearing aids for savings of up to 90% over traditional hearing aids. MD Hearing Aid was founded by a Chicago surgeon 
determined to develop a hearing aid that was technologically advanced, simple to use, and most of all, affordable. Call 1-800-485-4408. You'll speak with a trained MD hearing aid professional who will match you with the best hearing aid for your needs. Over 100,000 satisfied customers have already made the call. Call right now for our exclusive 45-day risk-free trial and get free shipping and a year's worth of free batteries, a $50 value. But you have to call right now. Call MD Hearing Aid at 1-800-485-4408. That's 1-800-485-4408. Owning and caring for a home comes with a lot of to-dos. Tune up the furnace, clean the gutters, remodel the kitchen. Whatever your home improvement need, HomeAdvisor can help you find a pro you can trust to get the job done right. Go to rebuild.homeadvisor.com for instant access to top-rated pros in your area, including electricians, handymen, plumbers, whatever type of home pro you need. And HomeAdvisor is absolutely free to use. At HomeAdvisor, you can read customer reviews of the pros, even use the cost guide to find out what hundreds of other home projects cost in your area. And because HomeAdvisor knows it's important to find a pro you can trust in your home, they conduct background checks on their service professionals. It's just one of the reasons more than 25 million homeowners have used HomeAdvisor. Go to rebuild.homeadvisor.com to find the right pro for your project. That's rebuild.homeadvisor.com. Author, journalist, and American patriot. This is Chuck Morse Speaks. Thanks so much. Richard Rhodes is my guest. He's the author of Hell and Good Company, The Spanish Civil War, and The World It Made, available in all major bookstores. Richard, a lot of the personalities that you write about who were involved in uh, supporting the uh, Loyalist side, uh, these people were certainly on the left. Many of them were formerly part of the Communist Party. Many of them were not. Uh, my question to you is more of a fundamental question here, which is exactly what what drove them to that? Did they really believe that communism would offer some kind of a better life for people? I mean, did they think that communism was a better system than American capitalism? You know, most of the people who volunteered to fight in the Spanish Civil War thought that if they could defeat fascism in Spain, they might be able to forestall a second world war. That may have been a forlorn hope on their part, but that was their hope, and many of them sacrificed their lives because of that. As far as this, your, your obsession, evidently, with communism, I certainly don't think that they intended to install a communist government in Spain or anywhere else. They simply volunteered with the hope that they could fight against fascism, and they did, mm. and uh, unfortunately they lost. Right, and by the way, my obsession, as you call it, with communism is is equal to my obsession with Nazism, and uh, as a Jew who had family members slaughtered in the Holocaust, I kind of resent the implication that these would be obsessions. But putting that aside... I wonder how many of the same people, and I don't question their motives, although I think they were naive, um, how many of them embraced Hitler after the Hitler-Stalin Pact of August 1939 when the Seriously? International Communist Party became pro-Hitler. Yeah, the people? International Communist Party 
became pro Hitler in the first two years of World War II. Switched around to look at look at look at the United States. Look at look at the communists. Where you're coming from, but you're not talking about my book. And if you want to talk about the politics of the war, you should interview Hugh Thomas. I'm signing off now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I don't think that, that that's something that he was comfortable, the question there. And the question is, were the people who were pro-Soviet or pro-communist before the Hitler-Stalin pact, did they sign on to Hitler after the Hitler-Stalin pact? Uh, the International Communist Party in the United States and in the Western democracies, they were pro-Hitler after the signing of the Hitler-Stalin Pact. That's a fact of history. That's provable very easily. They supported Hitler because Stalin entered into a pact with Hitler, and together Hitler and Stalin launched World War II. So, I mean, these are, these are simple facts of history, and there were many people in the Communist Party in the United States and in Europe, and of those, I would say, certainly the French Duclos, who was the head of the French Communist Party, and in the United States, the people who were sort of the famous Hollywood screenwriters and uh, people like Lawson and, and uh, Ring Lardner and them, and uh, the heads of the various communist and pro-communist unions, um, you know, which actually engaged in work stoppages to help, help prevent the United States from arming itself, that these people were effectively pro-Nazi because that was the Communist Party line at the time. So I don't think that my question is at all unreasonable. And, in fact, I'll state the answer because Mr. Uh, Rose was too, maybe too upset to do so. Maybe it, it forced perhaps him to confront something in his own thinking that might have even thrown a little glimmer of conscience in there. But the fact of the matter is that the, the, the communist left after August of 1939 was pro-Nazi. And, I, I, and by the way, Richard Rhodes is not the first person on the left that I've talked about this with who has hung up on me indignantly. I'm indignant over their support of Hitler. A Truth Talk defender, Chuck Morse is someone you really do want to know. Chuck hosts the radio talk show Chuck Morse Speaks, which is nationally syndicated. He's the author of books and numerous columns that have been published broadly. Chuck received the 2003 Communicator of the Year Award and was named a heavy 100 radio talk host by Talkers Magazine. When Chuck Morse speaks, people listen. They're taking possession of this tiny holy land so that the Jew can serve God, not conquer the world. To hear Chuck live, go to irnusaradio.com. To hear Chuck with Deborah Ray on Truth Talk Beyond the Soundbite, visit the on-demand page at deborahray.us. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. 
just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law, this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, proof of God in heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Mike Huckabee. I was the governor of Arkansas and ran for president in 2008, and I used to be a diabetic. One of the coolest campaigns I ever took on and won was the crusade that reversed my type 2 diabetes naturally. I was able to get off the medications I'd taken, and I lost 110 pounds of fat in the process. If you or someone you care about has type 2 diabetes or prediabetes, I urge you to pay close attention to what I'm about to tell you. The same methods I use to reverse my type 2 diabetes are found today in the Diabetes Solution Kit. It's an all-natural plan that really could work for you in reversing type 2 diabetes and prevent it from coming back, all in as little as four weeks, with your doctor's approval. Stop suffering. Here's how to get your hands on the Diabetes Solution Kit today. Get your Diabetes Solution Kit now at Diabetic99.com. Everything you need to reverse your type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes like Governor Huckabee did is at Diabetic99.com. Reverse your diabetes today at Diabetic99.com. That's Diabetic99.com. Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much. We're back here at the USA Radio Networks. The big story today at uh, the Drudge Report anyway, and I think probably nationally, is the ongoing saga with Hillary Clinton and her emails. It says here the AP, the Associated Press, is suing the State Department seeking access to the records of former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, that being the email records. And in the course of that, Hillary admitted yesterday in her speech with the media or her press event that she had deleted 30,000 emails uh, under the guise that they were personal. But, of course, no one knows whether they were personal or not. The fact is she was using her account for State Department business, which is, by the way, something that previous government officials had done. I mean, she's not the only one. But, for example, in the case of Colin Powell, he used a personal account, but he turned the whole thing over, including the hard drive, to the um, the State Department for publication after he left office, uh, something Hillary is refusing to do. But is this scandal going to derail her plans or her, her, her ambitions to become the next president and to be the nominee? Um, and it's also, I would argue, to be viewed as a double scandal in that um, – the, it comes on top of the revelation that as Secretary of State, she had concurrently arranged for multiple millions of dollars uh, in foreign in donations from foreign countries and from corporations doing business in those countries to the Clinton, um, whatever they call it, the Clinton Foundation, the, the Clinton Library, whatever it is, which brings up highly ethical questions about pay-to-play, uh, using her position as Secretary of State both to represent the United States but also to um, to get these donations. I mean, that's the appearance. Will she get away with it? I actually think she probably will. 
I think that she probably will go on to become the nominee. She very well may go on to become president and to be elected. And I think this because the Clintons have always gotten away with this. I mean, when he was governor of Arkansas, she was put on the board of directors of every major corporation in that state, including Walmart. And when I say board of directors, that's a big check that goes into the Clinton coffers in exchange for maybe a few meetings, a couple of banquets. And then as president, they did the same thing with the Clinton Library, and then as Secretary of State, they did it internationally. So, yeah, she'll get away with it. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law, this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Chuck Morse Speaks Thank you very much. Christopher Cameron is my guest. The book is To Plead Our Own Cause, African Americans in Massachusetts and the Making of the Anti-Slavery Movement. Christopher, um, how influential were Calvinist ideas to the development of the black church and how influential were those ideas to the civil rights movement itself in the 1960s? Uh, Calvinist ideas were important in the development of black Baptist churches. Um, so the first uh, black Baptist church arose in Savannah, Georgia in 1775. Um, and then there were a few more congregations throughout the South, as well as a black Baptist church in Boston in 1806 and, um, and throughout other northern cities. So it was primarily important within that denomination um, during the early uh, late 18th and early 19th century. Um, but it would not be as important in the sort of larger African Methodist Episcopal and African Methodist Episcopal Zion denominations. Um, there we mm-hmm. see a sort of move away from Calvinism towards more Arminian ideas that you can choose your own spiritual uh, fate, you can choose to be saved. Um, so they really start, most uh, black Christians in the 19th century would sort of move away from ideas of uh, predestination. One thing that they didn't move away from, though, whether you were Methodist, Baptist, whatever denomination, is the notion that God had a covenant uh, with the American people, right? Um, And that you had to Mm -hmm. live a just and moral and virtuous life on an individual level and at the national level if this society was going to survive and continue to thrive and grow, right? So, um, that idea sure. was really infused throughout black Christianity and would play a very prominent role in both abolitionism and in civil rights. Um, 
100 years later. And, and we see the same thing um, even among, you know, members of the Nation of Islam, Black Baptist churches, Black Methodist churches in the 1960s. There's still this powerful idea um, of a covenant with God, right? And if Americans yeah. break this covenant through slavery or through racism and Jim Crow in the 20th century, then God is going to have his wrath against the nation. So it, it would certainly continue to play a very powerful role throughout black religious and intellectual history. <clears throat> I also think that these ideas and, and uh, you know, the covenant idea, the uh, atonement idea, uh, other biblical ideas absolutely animated the public speeches and utterances of the late great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and that mm-hmm. that was the moral underpinning of the whole movement. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I very briefly touch on this at the end of my book, but the activists that I explore um, in my work, Phyllis Wheatley and Prince Hall and Lemuel Haynes and David Walker, were really the sort of intellectual predecessors of um, the more famous people that we know from the 20th century, like Malcolm X or Fannie Lou Hamer or Martin Luther King, right? Um, these 18th and early 19th century activists really sort of initiated the uh, rhetorical strategies um, and the kind of re- uh, the mixture of religion and politics um, that great civil rights leaders would employ a hundred years later. Right, and that uh, I think that this was really the this presentation more than anything else is what led to the success of the movement. I mean, it's uh, it was eventually embraced by most well-meaning white people, including people in the South who who were not that inclined, because it it, it resonated. It, it made sense. I mean, there was a moral component. Once that that's what won the day, and that's exactly what Martin Luther King predicted. Yeah, I think you're right, but um, you make it important point in saying it was embraced by most well-meaning uh, white people in the South, right? And how many well-meaning right, people there were is certainly up to debate, right? So um, even as sure, widespread sure. as the civil rights movement was, um, it was still not very, very widely embraced by all of American society. And we see at the end of the 1960s a very sharp backlash um, to the civil rights movement. Right, right. But I think that, and sure, I mean, there's obviously it wasn't embraced, but I think it was generally embraced by, by the vast majority and because of its moral message. Um, yeah. and, and that, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's what made the change. Uh, you know, it's why we've rejected these, you know, the, the ideas that were prevalent before it, the Jim Crow laws. Um, mm-hmm. There are other reasons why I think people might have problems with the civil rights movement, but it's not because of the moral aspect to it. Um, you know, the, the the moral aspect to it, I think, resonated and became very much a part of uh, mainstream American thinking. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right, Christopher Cameron. I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate it. We'll do it again right, so to plead our own cause. Thank you very much, sir. This report is brought to you by Staples. More managers are encouraging sick employees to stay home, but your colleagues still came in with a flu and...
Now, you've got it too. The flu costs the U.S. more than $87 billion annually and is responsible for the loss of nearly 17 million workdays. According to the fifth annual flu survey from Staples, 60% of office workers attend work despite their illness, meaning the workplace's best defense is a good offense. Chris Carenti, Vice President and General Manager, Staples Facility Solutions. With a few easy steps, the spread of illness can be significantly curbed, leaving employees healthier and more productive. Staples encourages protecting employees during flu season through three measures, educating them about flu prevention, providing the right supplies, and offering alternatives to attending work while sick. Providing hand sanitizer, cleaning supplies, and telecommuting options for the ill can help keep the office flu-free. Employers can also stress the importance of washing hands, taking recovery time, and cleaning shared surface areas. For more information, visit staples.com slash flu prevention. You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks on the Information Radio Network. The Cameron is joining me, uh, professor at uh, Kent State University. We are going to lead our own cause, African Americans in Massachusetts and the making of the anti-slavery movement. It's really a very insightful book, and um, I'm, I'm hoping to have him back um, soon once I finish the book. Uh, the uh, I was listening before this program to uh, my radio host colleague Jeff Cooner on WRKO debate Jeff Jacoby, who's a conservative columnist for the Boston Globe, and who wrote a column attacking Jeff and his rally on the State House steps here in Massachusetts, um, which was against uh, the illegal immigration, referring to them as nativist referring to um, them as unhinged and, and basically a, a very hard-hitting, nasty column. And uh, I thought that uh, Jeff Cooter had, uh, had uh, Jeff Jacoby on the program. They cleared away all commercials and, and calls and breaks, and they went at it for an hour and a half without a single interruption. It was one of the best radio segments that I have ever heard. Um, it reminded me of what WRKO did back in the day, when my mentor, the late, great Jerry Williams, had on Governor Michael Dukakis. This was uh, 1989, 1990, around that time. And again, they cleared away all commercials, they cleared away all interruptions, and they just went mano a mano. Um, And it was just a tremendous, memorable radio moment. Uh, So I congratulate both Jeff Cooner and Jeff Jacoby. I've invited both of them on this program uh, separately. If they want to come on together, they're welcome. Um, and I hope that they respond because, uh, to my way of thinking, just from a sheer radio standpoint, this is the essence of what I believe talk radio is all about. You had a real argument on real differences presented by two very brilliant and accomplished uh, radio people who know how to handle themselves on the air and who are both intellectuals in their own right. And... Uh, I'm just uh, amazed that that it took place. Now, in the next hour, hour number two here, we'll be joined by S.C. Sherman, who is the author of the book Mercy Shot. He wants to talk about Elizabeth Warren. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back after these messages. Listen to the Information Radio Network. Guys like us walk into a facility in the morning, we can smell a problem. No one needs to hand us a work order. We already know it. Today, for instance, we need a new gearbox, six globe valves, and a dozen ballasts. And when I smell a problem, Granger smells that I smell a problem. They help me keep this place up and running. 
Now that's the kind of smell I like. The sweet smell of success. Get it? Got it? Good. Call, clickgranger.com or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Musicians, now through Sunday at Guitar Center, don't miss the big payback. For every $50 you spend, we're giving you $10 in Guitar Center bucks good towards a future purchase. That's right, we're paying you back up to 500 Guitar Center bucks. So come by and get hands-on with the gear you really want. From the best guitars, drums, keyboards, and amplifiers to the most state-of-the-art DJ, live sound, and recording gear. Because during Guitar Center's big payback weekend, the more you spend, the more you earn. In-store and GuitarCenter.com. Exclusions and limitations apply. Visit GuitarCenter.com.